Father, would you use this time, speak through your word. We pray that you would help us to see that your great blessing to the nations was always intended to come through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray you would help us to grow in our affection for you, knowing that you have done this so we could be a part of your family. And we also pray you would help us to grow in our confidence that you have called us to, in faith, go and preach the good news to all the families of the earth. Help us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 1968, there was a chemical engineer by the name of Spencer Silver who had quite a sticky situation he got himself into. He had been working on an industrial adhesive type of thing you could use to hold pieces of a bridge or a boat together. But unfortunately, the substance he came up with proved to be unbelievably weak. So weak, in fact, that a person could very easily stick it to something and then take it off. He could think of no good use for this failure of his original plan. So for years, it sat on the shelf until another engineer came along and heard of it and had a different application altogether in mind. Uh, he was at church on a Wednesday night at a prayer meeting, and they were singing from a hymnal. But he kept losing his place, but was flipping between the different hymns. So he stuck little pieces of paper in the hymnal so he could flip back and forth. Only the paper would just fall off. It, it wouldn't stay in place. But he found that Spencer's weak adhesive would allow the papers to stick and then be taken off and unstick. Stick, unstick, stick, unstick. And he thought, aha, I found a new use for this otherwise useless adhesive. And thus, although it wasn't plan A, the plan B turned out to be called sticky notes. Those little yellow pieces of paper that are oh so satisfying to stick and unstick, stick and unstick. Um, if you're in business, you know how important it is to be adaptable. None of our plan A's work out exactly the way we think they're going to. So we need to be able to shift to plan B when things don't go according to plan. That's useful in business. It's certainly useful in your everyday life, just living life as a person. Your plans are in pencil. They need to be erased. And you need to be able to adapt to plan B's. But it, it's a really significant problem when we try to apply that sort of thinking to what God is like. Sometimes even Christians are guilty of thinking that God had a plan A, a really good plan A. He intended to bless the world, and he intended to do it through a particular nation, the nation of Israel. But somewhere along the way, his plan went off rails. But good news, God is good at shifting from plan A to plan B, and so he came up with a wonderful plan to bless the world on the fly, preaching the gospel to all the nations. Well, as unbelievably wise as that might be for one of us, it is utterly beneath the God of heaven to think such a thing. He is the God who plans the end from the beginning. The ones whose plans are formed in his own counsel and cannot be thwarted by even the mightiest kings of this earth. And this morning, my burden is to show you that from the beginning, it was his perfect plan to bless the nations through the gospel being preached. That the gospel was always his plan A for how to bless 
the nations. Now, that's important for us because our entire missionary endeavor to lead people to know and trust Jesus rests upon whether we have confidence in God's perfect plan to do what he says he will do, to bless all the families of the earth. So this morning, I'm going to try to show you that from two sections of Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. I'll give you those sections ahead of time. First, in verse 1, we'll see the call to go in faith. The call to go in faith. Second, in verses 2 and 3, we'll see the promise of God's great blessing. The promise of God's great blessing. And in all of this, we'll see that from the beginning, the gospel was God's perfect plan for the nations. Let's begin in that first one, the call to go in faith. And we've not been studying the book of Genesis, so we're in chapter 12, so let me catch you up on what's been happening. Um, Genesis has been rightly described as a book of beginnings. It starts off really, really good. God makes the world and the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and it is all perfect and good. The pinnacle of his good creation are humans. A male and female, he made them in the image of God. The world that God created glorified him, and it was off to a good start until chapter 3 of Genesis happens, and then things all start spiraling down. Uh, the original humans, Adam and Eve, they sin and rebel against the good God that made them, and that because of that, sin and death enter the world. And each descendant of Adam and Eve, each generation, seems like they just put more distance between them and God. Uh, they have different types of sins, uh, murder and lying and greed and even worshiping other gods, what's called idolatry. But inevitably, the story gets darker and darker until we get to Noah, where we're told that every intention of people's heart was to do evil in that time. And that results in God wiping off virtually everyone on the face of the earth, except Noah and his family, who are righteous in a wicked world. And yet, even wiping the slate clean, so it seems, doesn't solve the fundamental problem. As soon as Noah and his family are off the ark, they, uh, Noah plants a vineyard, makes wine, and gets drunk. And then his sons commit great sin while he is in a stupor. Now, all of this is showing, Genesis is showing a, a, a very bleak picture of what's happening in the world up until now. But that's all about to change because chapter 12, God is going to take initiative because God has a perfect plan to bless all the families of the earth. Tellingly, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, starts with God initiating. We're told that now the Lord said to Abram. Now, up until now, we do know where Abram's family comes from. Chapter 11 ends with uh, the genealogy telling us his father, uh, his father Terah. And yet, there is nothing especially, especially noteworthy about Abram that we know. It's not as if he has been off doing charitable works for people or he has been especially pious of heart. As far as we can tell, Abram is just another guy living in a region that somewhere in the Turkey, Iraq area, modern day time, he's doing the same things that all the people around him, certainly the people in his family were doing. 
He's raising flocks and herds. He's fostering the bonds of, uh, of blood with his family relations. And he's waiting until the day that his father dies and when he will inherit all that belonged to him. Most of all, though, he is worshiping the same gods that his family would have been worshiping. But in the midst of that very ordinary ancient life, God speaks. He has an intention for Abram. It is a giant step of faith that he requires of him. The next set of part of the verse, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Uh, being told you need to get up and move, it's already stressful enough. Uh, found a survey from a couple years back. 46% of the people surveyed ranked moving as the highest stressful event in their life. Uh, higher than losing a job, getting divorced, even higher than dying. 46% of people said moving is the most stressful thing. And if you think that sounds ridiculous, chances are you haven't moved in a while. I mean, when you stop and think about all we put ourselves through to move, it, it's borderline ridiculous. Uh, you have to take all of your earthly possessions in some way or the other, package them all up. Uh, you've got to get some sort of vehicle to move them, whether that be a moving truck that you hire people to come haul for you or you haul yourself. You've got to figure out how to get out of whatever living arrangement you have already, breaking a lease or selling a house, even though that's easier these days than others. It's still stressful. Then you've got to physically go to wherever it is. Maybe it's just around the block. Maybe it's hundreds and hundreds or thousands of miles away. Uh, once you actually get there, you've got to move it, all that stuff into your new house. Hopefully, you've already made arrangements for somewhere to live. And then you begin the process of unpacking the truck. And hopefully, you don't throw out your back in the process. And when you're done with all that, you're just getting started because then you actually have to unpack and inhabit the place. All of it takes months. It's so exhausting, which is why people who recently moved often say they'll never move again. Now, it's plenty hard to move today, but it's nothing compared to what moving back then would have been like. Uh, if you moved, there was no moving truck. You walked on foot with your flocks and your herds at the speed of whatever beasts of burden you were using to carry some of the stuff. As hard as it would be to travel the oh, 680, 700 odd miles uh, that he would end up traveling, that's not the hardest part. Uh, God lists out the hardest part. You are to go from your country and your kindred and your father's home. Uh, harder than knowing, uh, getting up and going and not knowing where you're going to arrive, harder than carrying all the stuff, is all the things that Abraham, Abram at this point needs to leave behind. It's tantamount to saying you need to leave your prosperity, your security, and your identity. Uh, the family tribal bonds being what they were, you were a member of your family in that place. Your prospects for wealth one day, they were almost directly tied to what you would inherit once your father died. And you want to talk about security, you're talking about a time where there are no police you can call. Who else to defend you and make you feel safe 
but those bound by the bonds of love. But God tells Abram, you've got to get up and leave it all behind. And he doesn't even tell him where he's going. He just says, you've got to trust me. That's a big step of faith that God gives at the very beginning of revealing how he is going to give his great blessing to the world. And we're right to notice that Abram's faith in this moment is meant to be a model for each of us who also walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, The book of Hebrews makes a connection for us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It'll be up on the screen behind me. By faith, Abraham, as he'll soon be known, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram is a hero of the faith because he believed God and he was willing to step out and go even though he didn't know where it was God was leading him. Now, there is a connection to be made for us, particularly as we think of our call to go as a part of the Great Commission, as people called to be a part of God's great mission to make the name of Jesus known in every family, in every tribe, in every tongue around the world. Not all of us are called to sell our house and leave the place where we're living currently in order to go and be a part of that calling. Many are called not to go themselves, but to send, to help others to go. Uh, Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in a season of life where going is not the wisest thing, or maybe for some other reason, God has not called you to actually relocate as a part of the Great Commission. But he has called all of us, one way or another, to be a part of the name of Jesus being known all over the earth. So what would be a step forward in faith for you? Well, there are a variety of different ways that we as a church try and do this work of the Great Commission together. Um, One way we do that is by uh, having short-term vision trips. Uh, Those are the types of trips that you don't have to quit your job or sell your house to go on. Usually they're about a week, uh, maybe two weeks if they're long. Uh, Certainly, there are sacrifices involved. You might need to give up some vacation time. You might have to spend some of the money you had set aside for something else. Uh, Certainly, there is faith involved in going on them. You're very likely to go to a culture you're not familiar with. You're very likely to be relying on others to help you catch a vision for what God's doing around the world. And you're certainly relying on God for this to be a fruitful spiritual experience. And yet, if you talk to many Christians, these short-term trips have a way of solidifying your role in the body of Christ and helping you to see what God's doing and know that you can be a part of his mission to reach the nations. Uh, We as a church have a trip coming up in December. It's a trip with the Filter of Hope. It's being led by Jeff Johnson, one of our members. It's going to Guatemala, and it provides water filtration to people who don't have access to clean drinking water as a way to be able to open up evangelistic conversations. I know that there is still room in that trip. And so if you've never gone on a vision trip or a short-term trip of some sort, I want you to ask yourself the question, why wouldn't I go on this trip? Well, what is preventing me from doing so? Is it impossible for me to get my passport updated? 
Might not God provide the funds and the time? And what might God do in your heart if you were to take a step of faith and go? Uh, Maybe going on a trip isn't realistic, but there's other ways you can take a step of obedience in this area. Our church has a prayer rhythm, something called Barnabas Prayer. It's the third Sunday of each month. Uh, We pray at 7.30 in the morning over Zoom for our missionaries. And oftentimes the missionaries actually join the Zoom call. So even though they're in Thailand or all the way around the world, they they can actually hear us pray with them and for them. Um, So maybe you make an effort to get up a little early on a Sunday and be a part of that prayer ministry to support those who have taken up the call to go um, so that the gospel can be known around the nations. One thing that we certainly should all be doing is praying that the Lord would raise up those people that would go cross-culturally, that we here at Castleton would see some of our members in God's perfect timing uh, take up that call to sell their house and divest themselves of their earthly possessions and go around the world so that people who don't have access to the gospel could hear the name of Christ preached. Uh, We should be so thankful for those who have already taken that plunge. Um, Thankful for John and Marisa Foltz. As a matter of fact, John Foltz will be at our church from 4 to 6 p.m. today. And if you want to come and be more involved in missions, one thing you can do is come to that open house. Uh, But we would love to see John and Marisa and Iris and Christopher and Luke and Laura joined with others that have answered the call of the Lord to leave behind family and country and the comforts and securities of home, to go a place where people need to hear about Jesus. Would you pray with me that the Lord would do that amongst us? And maybe this morning, you are one of the people that God is stirring something up in your hearts, uh, the beginnings of a call to get up and go. If that's you, friend, don't resist the Lord's leading. Because with each call to go is a great blessing and a set of promises that make it all worthwhile. And that's what we see directly in the second point. God asks Abram for a big set of, a step of faith. And so he gives him an even bigger set of promises. That's what we see in verses two through three. The promise of God's great blessing. Verse two, the Lord continued, And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There are three distinct blessings that all tie together. You could call them a package of God's great blessing. Uh, the first is that Abram will be, uh, have his name become great by being the father of a great nation. People all over the world are going to know the name Abraham, as he'll soon be renamed, because from his line, from his blood, will spring a people that will turn into a nation. Second blessing is in verse 3, the first half of it. It's that uh, Abraham and his descendants will have a special status with God. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So close will the relationship between Abraham and his descendants and God be, that for someone to bless them will be tantamount to blessing God, and for someone to curse them will be tantamount to becoming God's enemy. The third blessing is in verses, second half of verse two and second half of verse three. It's that this great blessing will overflow to all the families of the earth. End of verse two, he'll do this so that you will be a blessing. And then second half of verse three, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says to Abram, you must get up and go, but there is something to sustain you along the way. My perfect promises, my promises to bless you and your descendants, and yes, even the world. Now, what were the fulfillment of God's promises to Abram? Well, if you're reading forward in your Bible, you're likely to think it must be the physical nation of Israel. So the man named Abraham had sons, and those sons had many other sons themselves until there were 12 tribes that one day were formed into a numerous nation, the nation of Israel. And to be sure, the nation of Israel experienced a special status from God. Uh, They had allies that God blessed and enemies that God cursed. Uh, They received special privilege of being able to have God reveal himself through their prophets, and even a temple in their midst so that they could go into the very presence of God uniquely among the nations. It sure looked like for a time that though there were starts and stops to it, there was a building sense that that God's great blessings were being fulfilled through them. Uh, Certainly by the time King David took the throne and established the capital, and especially during the reign of King Solomon, If you read through Solomon's uh, account in 1 Kings, it's almost like this exact set of verses is being fulfilled. There's peace on all sides. The nation prospers, becomes unbelievably wealthy. Solomon is given special wisdom from God that starts attracting their neighbors to come and see the God of Israel. Queens and kings from all over the earth are coming to hear of the wisdom of Solomon. It sure looks like God's great blessing is coming through his people and his place under the rule of his king. But just as it seems like the apex of God's great blessing is coming through Solomon, a downward spiral starts. Solomon, like so many of Abraham's sons before him, sins against God. He takes a whole series of foreign wives which lead him to worshiping foreign gods. And as a result, the nation begins a downward spiral. After Solomon dies, his sons who come after him are even worse. And after a few generations, eventually you get the sense that all that was being built is being torn down. The nation itself breaks into two and then both parts are taken off into exile. God's people are taken from his place. And it looks like that's the end of the promises made to Abraham. Now, if you're a Bible student, you should know that this presents a sort of problem to us. God doesn't lie. 
He doesn't say things and not follow through on them. So what in the world are we to make of the promises he made to Abram and the seeming failure of those promises in the nation of Israel? Well, this brings us back to that thought I started this sermon with. There have been some preachers that have tried to solve the puzzle by saying, well, God had a plan A that was to bless the whole world through this special nation, the nation of Israel. But when they rebelled and failed, well, God showed that he's adaptable and he switched over to plan B. That is, he sent Jesus and then after Jesus' death and resurrection, he gave his apostles the mandate to go and preach the gospel to all the nations. Uh, Life gave God lemons and thanks be to God, he made lemonade out of it. That's how the thought kind of goes. I had one preacher put it this way. It's a little bit like a football game. Um, The first half didn't go well, so God, being the coach, decided to pull the quarterback and put in Jesus, the backup, and after that, everything went perfectly. Um, While I appreciate the desire to defend God's character, again, that falls far short of the God who knows the end from the beginning and is sovereign over all. And in fact, if we pay close attention to his promises to Abram, and even the way the Bible itself Uh, interprets it for us, we'll see that it's been from the beginning God's perfect plan in the gospel to bless the nations. How can I say that so confidently? Well, because of a passage in the book of Galatians. Flip with me, Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Galatians is a book written to some Christians that were living at a time when they were being troubled by some Jewish Christians who were stuck in their old mindset. Remember, we've been uh, seeing this in Luke's gospel. The religious Jews of the time thought that God's blessings were for all of us and not for any of them, very insider-outsider. Well, that same thought was applied to salvation in Jesus. Uh, Surely, since all the blessings of God come to Abraham and all of his descendants, that must mean that for you to become a Christian, you must also become a Jew. Namely, that meant taking the sign of the uh, covenant, the, the circumcision. And to that, Paul wrote this letter of the Galatians. So in the middle of that, these three verses have two very important things for us to see together. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. There are two very important things that we need to see what Paul teaches from this passage. The first is that Abraham's family is far bigger than we ever imagined. Virtually everyone assumed that those who inherit Abraham's blessing were those who were by blood Abraham's descendants, sons and daughters of Abraham. But according to Paul, 
There's a different way you can become a part of Abraham's family. That is by faith. See, Abraham was a man of faith. And when we have the same sort of faith as Abraham, that is trusting God's promises through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we also find ourselves adopted into the family of God through the work of Christ. So it's not just those of blood that are the recipients of Abraham's promises. It's also those who have faith like Abraham did. Uh, The second thing we see is that God's plan was far more perfect than we ever could have imagined. Consider the passage of Genesis 12. It happened roughly 4,000 years ago, give or take. And Paul is writing in Galatians roughly 2,000 years ago, give or take. Uh, Between then, there was a lot that people didn't understand about God's perfect plan in the world. But according to Paul, when Abraham heard God say, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In that moment, he was truly hearing a version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Abraham didn't understand all of it. He certainly didn't know that this would come through the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah Jesus. But he knew somehow that God's promises to him were not just for his blood kin, but they would somehow reach all the families of the earth. Now, all of this uh, gives great justification for one of the great marks of Christian culture and heritage, That song, Father Abraham Had Many Sons. Everyone knows it, right? Uh, I love Dr. Phil Riken called it the Christian version of the hokey pokey. (laughs) Love that. Now, it's a fun song. My guess is almost all of us know it. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? Now, that's not just a fun song we teach our kids. Uh, I was so encouraged when I asked my daughter what that song meant. Uh, She told me that Miss Loretta taught her what it meant, that it meant that if you had faith, you were in Abraham's family um, through the gospel of Jesus. So praise God for Loretta's ministry, and praise God that the truth of that song is true of each and every one of us. And it's been true for those 2,000 years now that have heard the gospel of Jesus preached, no matter what tribe, tongue, nation or people group they came from, that when we, through faith in Jesus Christ, take that step of obedience, that we are adopted into the very family of God's great blessing, along with Father Abraham. Now, why is this important for our task of global missions? Before I go there, let me just say, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, this is one of the great differentiators between Christianity and many of the other world religions out there. Uh, Many other religions teach something like what family you belong to is determinative of what type of relationship you can have with God. You can be born into a caste or a social standing that is impossible to break out from. It determines how you can relate to God and there's no other option. But according to the Bible, the God that has made all of us, the heaven and the earth and all of us in it, 
And he's made a way for each and every one of us to be welcomed into his family of his great blessing. Uh, That's not because of anything we've done in ourselves. We've not earned it in any way. It's wholly an act of his initiative and his grace. See, the message of the Bible is essentially this, is that we are sinners, that if God gave us what we deserved, it would be his punishment. But instead, he sent his son, Jesus, uh, son of Abraham, son of God, who gave his life as a sacrifice in the place of sinners. Uh, That means that you can be forgiven of each and every one of your sins. And even better, you can be brought into the family of God. It doesn't matter what family you grew up in or what nation you were born in or what people group you identify with. God universally has made this offer possible. But it requires something of you, friend. It requires that you repent of your sins and through faith, that you take a step of obedience, that you believe that Jesus really did these things, and that you begin a journey living your life as one of his disciples. If you have questions about any of that or how to become a Christian, after the service, I'll be available. Just come up and ask. I would love to fill in some of the blanks so that you can join the family of God today. Now, to those of us who are a part of the family of God, I I think that this is the foundation for our enterprise of leading people to know and trust Jesus all around the world. Think about what it would do to your confidence in yourself getting up and going and moving around the world or sending someone else to do that if you thought that the gospel being preached was God's pretty good plan B. But God doesn't have plan Bs. He has perfect plans that he at times lets us in on what they are. And we live at a time where we know that from the beginning, it has been his perfect plan that the nations be blessed through the gospel of Jesus. So when we send someone around the world or we go ourselves in obedience, we can have perfect confidence that this is what God is using and this was his intention from the beginning to bring people to know him and be loved by him and the family of his great promise. One of the other implications of this has to do with how we do missions. Uh, Some people have taken this Genesis 12 passage and zeroed in on that phrase in verse two, so that you will be a blessing, and turned the entire missionary enterprise into nothing more than benevolent goodwill acts. As long as we are being a blessing to people, then that is God's purpose for us as Christians. Uh, So everything from digging wells to uh, building hospitals or founding orphanages, all of that is called Great Commission missions. Now, I don't for a second want to discourage us from doing those things. Those are amazingly wonderful things for Christians to do. And in fact, at times they are a very helpful complement to the preaching of the gospel. But if we take Paul's words seriously and God's words to Abram seriously, we cannot allow them to become a substitute for the preaching of the gospel. How is it that Abram brings God's great blessing to all the families of the earth? Well, it's by the preaching of justification through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that that has everything to do with what we are, uh, what the mission we send our missionaries out on is. Uh, 
Uh, we don't send people just to do benevolent good works. We send them to make disciples. And that means being explicit at the gospel of Jesus, whether that's open air preaching to hundreds at a time or one-on-one -on -one relational evangelism and discipleship. Uh, we're not accomplishing our mission unless we are doing this thing that is preaching the gospel of Jesus. Now, praise be to God that all of our global outreach partners are gospel-saturated people and do this so, so well and intentionally. But brothers and sisters, let's always insist that we allow our efforts in the area of global missions uh, to follow the pattern that the Lord's laid down and told us is his purpose to bless the nations through the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Finally, and I want to end the service on this. I want to end it in the arena of uh, the personal way that you think of your relationship with God. Uh, sometimes people struggle with the idea that God is their father and they're part of the family of God, because they have a lot about their earthly families, the baggage they bring into that idea. And there's many reasons why we're not thrilled or even proud of our earthly families. Sometimes there's great sin or shame, or even a sense that we're just not really wanted. Like we were an accident and family would be better off without us. But friends, the, what God has revealed and his perfect plan to bless the nations is that none of us are accidents in the family of God. That from the very beginning, this was his intention to save you. There's not a thought that he wishes he could have gotten some other group of people, but he'll settle for you, he guesses. No, quite the opposite. From the very start, he had this perfect purpose that the gospel of Jesus would be preached to you and in due time, you would respond in repentance and faith and you would be brought into the loving embrace of his family. So brothers and sisters, whether you have an earthly family that's lived up to its calling or not, would you know this, that you have a spiritual heritage that's worth boasting about. You are a son or a daughter of Abraham and you are loved by the, your great father in heaven because it was his perfect plan to bless the nations of the world, including you, through the preaching of the gospel. Unless we forget it, he gave us a regular reminder of his love through his family extended to us as we approach the Lord's table. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for adopting us through your merit into the family of God. Uh, thank you that you did not withhold your own flesh being broken or your own blood being shed so that sinners like us could be redeemed. And so that we, people who were far off and had no reason to think that you would call us sons and daughters, could be adopted and embraced on the inside by the Holy Spirit. 
that we know that you are not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, and that you will delight to spend eternity enjoying us, your spiritual family. Jesus, help us as we come to the Lord's table to remember our connection to each other, that through faith we are truly a family. Help us also to remember that we are united to all those around the world and down through the ages that have believed the same gospel, that the family of Abraham is far bigger than we've ever imagined, and that your blessings to us are so much better than we ever could have hoped for. Oh, Jesus, help us now even as we search our hearts and spend time in confession and prayer. Would you use this time to remind us of your great love for us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.